name is Chris Watts. I am 27 years old. Um, Ten years ago, I'd have told you that was old, and now I pretty much believe that that's young. So, you know, fighting through, trying to avoid 30 at all costs, but don't think that I'm going to succeed. I do live in Elberton, Georgia, with my beautiful wife, Sally, who is here with me on the front row. We have an 18-month-old son named Isaiah, and there's a constant battle in our house between him and I. He thinks he runs the house, and I tell him I pay the bills, and we just have this constant back and forth going of who's really in control, and at the end of the day, I guess he wins because when he cries, I move, so... You know, I guess I have to uh, submit on that authority. But I do try to convince myself that I'm still, you know, in control and that this 18-year-old, this 18-month-old hadn't uh, got me wrapped around his finger. But if you met him, you would understand. Um, he does pray. He does preach. We don't know what he's saying, but he does do it. So he's hopefully following, following in his daddy's footsteps and will be, will be awesome in his own right. A um, little quick background information about me. I grew up in 96 South Carolina. don't know if any of you know where that's at. It's right down the road. Um, if any of you are from rival schools, I apologize. It's not my fault. been gone for a while. Um, but grew up in 96 and ended up marrying a woman from Emerald. So, you know, kind of marrying the enemy there. But anyway, that's a little bit about me. I've, I've been in youth ministry for eight years I took my first first youth pastor job at the age of 18 and have been doing it for most of my life since I was since I was 18. We took about a year off when we first got married and jumped right back into it. And I just recently took a job at Fallen Creek Baptist Church as their youth minister. And so we're really excited about that and hoping to build a good foundation. Um, so I just want to tell you, thank you for having us to, this morning. I'm honored and humbled to be here. And I really feel like God's got something for you. And if not for you, then definitely for somebody that you know. Um, so let's open with a word of prayer and we'll get into it. Father God, thank you for your love and your opportunity to be here. Lord, I pray that you would prepare the hearts. God, that you would hide me behind your cross. God, let me decrease that you might increase. Father, use me this morning. Change us. And love others through us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 30. Yes, that is the book of Leviticus, which I have never in my life actually heard someone preach a sermon from there, but that's where we're going to start. Um, I'm not crazy, I don't, I don't believe. So we're going to go there and look at something. I want to start with a, with a question and look in Leviticus to just kind of maybe even challenge us this morning on some thinking because I, I really want to go to a place, I really want to take us to a place where I feel like God wants to, to go. So if you will go to Leviticus 16, verse 30. Here's my question. Why did Jesus come? What was his purpose? If you're like me and you've grown up in church most of your life, the initial answer is to forgive us of our sins, keep us from going to hell, that sort of response. And on the the initial side, and for a long time I was like, yeah, that, that sounds good, that gets it covered, but I want to point you to something in Leviticus 16.30. Listen to this. It's talking about the Day of Atonement and the 
the priest and their their whole deal, the temple sacrifices and all that. Um, just going to pick up in verse 29 and go to 30. It says, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and do not do any work. All the college people said amen. Whether native-born or foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. So what this is saying is that in the Old Testament, they had a sacrifice system set up to forgive the people of their sins. So if that's the case, why did Jesus come? Did Jesus really come just so that he could do away with a system that was already in place? Now, I don't want you to to misunderstand. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. He is the ultimate sacrifice, and, and he does forgive us of our sins. But Jesus did not come just to replace a system. The Old Testament sacrifice, sacrifice system, it was good for a time. But as soon as you turned around and you messed up, if you sinned, you had to turn right back around and offer a sacrifice. It couldn't last. It couldn't endure. And it was simply to forgive. I want to show you a verse in 1 Timothy 1.15. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, if you want to go with me. I'll give you a second. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, to a, to a, his, essentially to a pastor. And this is what he says, talking about the God's grace. In verse 15, he said, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Here's the, the difference. Here's Jesus' purpose. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The word save in the, in the original language is sozo. I looked it up because I want you to understand it's, it's not just what we would consider saved. If I ask you what does saved mean, I could get 150 different answers. Well, this means saved or this means saved. But I want to read you a definition real quick before I get into the rest of my message, because I want you to see exactly what this word can mean. It can mean to save or keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, to save a suffering one from perishing, one suffering from disease, to make well, heal, or restore to health, to preserve one who is in danger of destruction, to save or rescue, to save in the technical biblical sense, to deliver from penalties, or to save from the evils which obstruct the re- reception of the messianic deliverance. Now that's a big lot of words and verbiage to simply say this. Jesus came to fix whatever was wrong. When he says I, the son, Jesus came to save sinners, it's not just, and he didn't even say to forgive. Even though we know that's what God does through Jesus, that's a part of it, but he came to save this word sozo, it shows up in some other places. One in particular is found. Let me readjust here, I'm sorry. I'm trying to bounce all over the place. I'm going to walk over here. Is this all right, Joe, for me to, uh, to walk back and forth? One particular instance where this word shows up is found in. John 3.16, when you get down to verse 17, it says, 
As we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him shall not perish but have eternal life. For the Son came to save. When it gets to the part in verse 17 that talks about save, that's the word sozo. So this word is even found in the most recognized biblical passage. Not only does it appear there, but also Romans 10, 9, when it talks about salvation. Many people have heard of the Romans road. That's the same word. Luke 19 and Matthew 18, when Jesus talks about what he came, he came to save the lost. It's the same word. This word literally encompassed everything that Jesus wanted to do. Everything that he was about was in this word and its definition. Show you some other places that this word shows up to really kind of show you what I believe. Because what I believe is that Jesus did not come to just forgive you of your sins, to save you from hell. But I believe that Jesus came to save you physically, emotionally, spiritually, and socially. And that's the four areas that we're going to focus on today. I'm going to take you and I'm going to show you some examples of that. But I believe that Jesus wants to do more than just save you from hell and put you in a church. I believe that Jesus, very, in a very real sense, was God's lifeline to humanity. You know, I, I love this church's name. I was back there praying, and it just kind of hit me. You were a lifeline community church. A lifeline. You are exactly, your name is telling you exactly what God is wanting to do to humanity. He is wanting to throw out a lifeline. Now, that, that verbiage comes, if I'm correct, it comes from a a sailor term, you have someone fall overboard, you throw them a lifeline. They're in the ocean. They're, for all intents and purposes, going to drown. You throw them something to help them, to keep them from drowning. But what if we just stop there? I mean, I've done good, right? I threw you a lifeline. You're not going to drown. You hang on and we'll drag you behind the boat until we get to the, to the dock. I mean, how many people want to sign up for that one? Most people wouldn't say that. Most people would not say, oh, yeah, that's okay. You know, We threw them a lifeline. Let's just leave them. We'd say, no, we should pull them in, get them out of the water. And that's what I, I really believe God is trying to communicate to us this morning, is that he did not just throw us a lifeline to keep us from drowning, to just drag us behind his boat and to ultimately save us at the pier. But I believe that he threw us a lifeline to pull us into the boat to get us out of the water right now. So if you will, if you want to look with me, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. This is one of my favorite stories. It's the story of Peter walking on the water with Jesus. Peter was a very interesting character. He often put his foot in his mouth and had to back it up. Um, Peter was a very hot-headed person, you know, not like any Christians or anything that I know. Um, definitely not, you know, any pastors. Not like, not like pastors lose their temper at all. So, you know, I don't know what Peter was doing that was any different than what we do. But in Matthew 14, we have the account of Peter walking on the water with Jesus, and it says this. Pick up and... Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. 
Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So, Peter just wanted Jesus to save him from hell, right? He's sinking. He says, Lord, save me. And he was just referring to his eternal destination. That as long as he died and went to heaven, then everything would be okay. Being a little sarcastic. Peter was sinking in an ocean in the middle of a storm, and he cried out. He said, Jesus, save me. Right now, where I'm at, in the situation I'm at, I do not want to drown. That's what Peter wanted to be saved from. It's the same word that's used to talk about what Jesus came to do. Save me right now, Father, from the situation, the circumstance I'm in. Maybe you're in a, maybe that's, that's, you can find yourself in that situation. Maybe you're not drowning, literally. Maybe you're not in an ocean drowning. Maybe situations in life have you overwhelmed. Maybe you're at a place that you, you feel like that you can't do it, you can't go on, whatever, fill in the blank. I'm here to tell you good news. Jesus came to save you. Not just from hell, not just to forgive you of your sins, but to meet you in the situation where you're at. If you're sinking, he said, I'm here to save you. Peter cried out, save me. So you see, Peter's desire was to physically be saved. He did not want to die. Look at Mark chapter 5. This story appears all throughout the Bible, but specifically we'll just go to Mark chapter 5. The lady with the issue of blood, 5 and 28. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. The word healed, guess what word it is? Sozo. (laughs) It's the same word that means saved. In the original language, that word, she said the same thing that Peter said when he was sinking in the water. Save me. See, her issue wasn't I'm sinking in water. Her issue was I'm sick. And I need you. We know this woman had tried everything under the sun. She tried every doctor. She tried every remedy. Everything she could think of. Nothing. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. I'll be saved. Now we could focus on the physical healing, and that's important, and that's awesome that God did that. But what? I want you to understand is this woman, because of this issue, she was cut off from society. She was an outcast. She was ceremonially unclean. She couldn't be touched. She couldn't be included in anything. She was literally cut off from the people. She was a social outcast. And while I do believe that she wanted to be physically healed, we know from other accounts with Jesus that she wanted to be socially healed as well. There are people that we encounter every day that are social outcasts. I was talking 
with some of your leadership before service and pointing out that you're essentially surrounded by three cities. And there's outcasts in every one of them. Whether it's people who've been kicked out of their homes, whether it's drug addiction, alcoholism, violence, gangs, you put, pick your choice. There's people who have been set apart from society. And they're outcasts. Jesus came to save them. Came to save us. See, I want you to understand that as, as Christians, we're nothing but saved sinners. We were the Peter in the water. We are the woman with the issue of blood. That's who we are. But we have one who came and saved us. We're no different than anybody else. My problems, the things that I struggled with, are no different than yours. Just because I'm up here doesn't make me any better or anything else. I'm right there with you. I need a Savior. I need Jesus to do in my life what he came to do. One of the most important things about the Old Testament that I, I want to take a chance to tell you is that the law was given and showed humanity that we can't do it. You can't be good enough. Growing up, I was, I was taught that if you worked hard, it's not about who you know, it's, just, it's about how hard you work. If you work hard, you'll get ahead in life, you'll do great, it'll be wonderful. Just keep putting your nose through the grindstone and don't worry about it. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that that's not really true. That in life, it's really about who you know. I'll tell you a quick story about my, my wife and her job situation. My wife got a job working for Horseman Insurance. Now, she is by all means qualified to do her job. She is the one of the best office assistant secretaries I've ever met in my life. Not only does she do her job, she does part of my job and just keeps the whole world going. Like without her, I don't know that the world would spin. So she is, she is amazing at everything that she does. But here's a very interesting thing. No matter, she had years of experience in Horace Mann. By all means, qualified, all this good stuff. Great value. But she was not hired because of her qualifications. The guy that she works for now is friends with her father. And she got this job opportunity because we were moving here and she had a connection. It was all in who she knew. Regardless of how qualified she was, she had a connection. And it became about who you knew and who you know. I was walking up this morning and as I approached the door, a lady called out my name. I was like, man, these people do their homework. I didn't even know. Comes to find out she works at the school that I go to. She knew me. So I, you know, I have to be on my, my good behavior. So make sure y'all, uh, y'all can thank her for that. That I don't, you know, take off running or, or do backflips or anything, trying to behave, you know. But it's all about who you know. Even with, with God, it's all about who you know. When Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he said, at the end of the days, I'll say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. If you read that verse, you see they did a lot of good things. Some things we would even say they did miraculous things. But at the end of the day, it's who you know. And the problem with sin is it cut us off from God. We cannot know him. And Jesus came to restore that relationship. He came to save us. Not just from hell, but from sin.
and the power of sin. In Luke 8, I'm not going to flip there, there's an account of a man who was possessed by devils, the, the man of the area of the Gazarenes, and Jesus comes to him. Maybe you've heard the story. The man comes out of the tombs. Jesus rebukes the devils. They say their name's Legion because there's so many of them. He sends them to the pigs. Pigs run down to heal and are destroyed. The farmers freak out, rightly so. They go back to the city. We're good? All right, sorry about that. They go back to the city, obviously freaked out and scared, tell everybody. They come running out. When they get back, there's this man who has been crazy, running around naked, cutting himself, living in a graveyard. And it says that he was fully clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. And it scared the people. The people were more comfortable with this man being naked, crazy, cutting on himself and beating people up than for him to be fully clothed in a peaceful state, sitting at Jesus' feet. That's what scared them. And I submit to you that maybe as a culture, we've gotten to the place to where we are more comfortable with people going to a clinic and being on medication to help them with their problems than with them walking with a God who can deliver them from their problems. We are more apt to say, here, go get fixed. And I'm not down in the medical system. I have a cousin who is going to become a doctor. He's taking classes that are longer than this pew in name. He is a brilliant man. I mean, I wish I, look, I wish this guy was here because I'd be like, this is how you do it. This man's going to be great. He's a, he's got a doctor. He's got a 4.0 at the Honors College at the University of South Carolina. I mean, completely outshines me in every academic area there it could ever be. If there was a genius, it would be him. Not knocking the medical profession. Well, I appreciate the medical profession. When I had appendicitis, I loved the medical profession. Okay? But we're more comfortable with people being put on medication than we are with people coming and being made whole with Jesus. We're more comfortable just saying, well, go talk to Oprah or Dr. Phil. It'll be okay. That's better. That's acceptable. Here's my 12-step program. You'll be okay than saying there's a God who came to save you. The people were so freaked out because this man who had been crazy and out of his mind was in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think that's a scary place to be as a culture. But what I want you to understand is maybe you're in that place, maybe you know someone that's in that place, or you've dealt with depression or anxiety, worry, thoughts of suicide. I'm just going to throw it out there. It is what it is. Maybe you've dealt with that. Jesus came to save you emotionally. He put, he took the demon-possessed man who had more demons in him than they could name, simply gave him a Roman military term and said, this is legion because there's so many of us. And he said... When it was all said and done, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind, fully clothed. Interesting kind of side note to that story. When this is all said and done, the people go, Jesus, you need to leave. You know, I, I, you know, like I said, they're scared, don't know really kind of the thing. I'm just saying if you just encountered a man that's been beating people up, I'd be like, hey, would you like to be sheriff? You know, they're saying, you got to go. The man who was healed says, Jesus, I want to go with you. Jesus does something crazy. Just blow, blows my mind. 
Jesus, you know, he didn't say, all right, yeah, we need more numbers. Come on, we're growing. We're trying to get more numbers. We're building this ministry. Jesus said something that completely is backwards from the way a lot of churches are, are taught to go. He looked at someone who wanted to be part of his ministry and wanted to follow, and he said, no, you have to stay. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus turn down membership? Surely this man's testimony would have helped. Jesus told him he had to stay because that man was going to become a lifeline to the people. Sometimes God does not take us out of situations, and sometimes we don't get to go on the fun and the happy and the exciting places that we think we should go. Sometimes God calls us and says, I need you to stay because I'm going to use you to reach a people. Blind men, many accounts of blind men, but in Luke 18, Jesus asks him, says, what do you want? He says, I want to see, I want to be made healed, made whole. Sozo. God, I don't want you to save my soul. That's part of it. I want to see. This man was not focused on the afterlife. This man had a need. He said, I need to be able to see. And that is what I want. And Jesus healed him. It's a physical healing. Kind of a side, a side note, just kind of to keep it going in this direction, I want you to know Jesus actually used, actually prayed this same word in the garden. In John chapter 18, when Jesus is, is getting ready to be crucified, and of course he's going through all the anguish and, and all that, the, one, the, the verse we like to quote is, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That's, and that's good. But there's literally, in chapter 18, Jesus says, save me. Sozo. The same word that Peter called out when he was sinking, the same word that the woman called out with the issue of blood, the same word that the demoniac said, and the same word that the blind man called out, the very reason that Jesus came, Jesus himself used it. Because... He knew what was coming. So this word is not just about being forgiven. It's not just about an abstract when we get on the other side. It's a real, here I am, right now, in my situation, I need you. You got to hurry on. So how does Jesus save us spiritually, physically, emotionally, and socially? How does it work? Glad you asked. My wife's got question cards. I, she pulled the audience. That's how I knew you wanted to know. Just kidding. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8. A young man by the name of Nick Glover really, really changed my life when he point, pointed this out to me. And I want to share with you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just flipping around. I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 8. It says this. Starting verse 4. But because of his great love... For us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 8, 
It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. You've probably figured it out. Guess what that word saved is? It's the same word. Remember I told you the Old Testament law said you can't do it? Here's the list of rules, jump this high and you'll be good. We can't do it. We've tried, they tried, it just doesn't work. I promise you, I tried to play church for a long time in my life. Dress nice, fix your hair, read your Bible at least three times, pray at least five times, don't do anybody wrong, make sure you shake a hand, and definitely make sure you're at the fellowship hall so you can eat chicken after the service. I did all that. Somebody's like, amen, is there chicken? (laughs) I did all that. I did all the good stuff. I raised my hands in worship. I prayed. I was at prayer meeting Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning. Look, there was a time when I was in high school, I was in church every other day and sometimes on Saturday. I was at prayer meeting on Monday. I was at service on Wednesday. I was at youth prayer meeting on Friday night. How many, how many high schoolers are you going to get to come to a prayer meeting on Friday night? High schoolers don't give up their Friday night. I was good. I had it going on, okay? Didn't work. Sometimes we'd have work days on Saturday. I'd be there Sunday morning, Sunday night. I was part of two youth groups. I had it going on. I did the church thing perfectly. Here's the problem. I had a problem with lust and pride. I won't go into that. It's not about that. But what I want you to understand is you can't be good enough. You can't do enough church. You can't volunteer enough. You can't help enough little old ladies across the street. You can't donate to the youth enough. You can't keep the nursery enough. We cannot do enough to fix ourselves. Take it even a step further. You can't do a 12-step program enough. You can't listen to Dr. Phil enough. You can't read your Bible enough, pray enough. You can't do it enough. It doesn't work. I tried. See, I thought Jesus was just the key to get me to to heaven. Because I can't tell you how bad I did not want to go to hell. Like, I cannot express to you how bad I did not want to go to hell. And that was, that was, that's where Jesus came in. I'll be good. You get me through. We got this, we got this thing worked out. But what I realized, is that when I was honest with myself, I couldn't be good. I couldn't forgive those who had hurt me. I couldn't overcome the things that I was dealing with, no matter how much I read, no matter how much I prayed. If that's where it ended, if it was just reading and it was just praying, it fell through. I was missing this key component. It is by God's grace that you're saved. You say, so what, what does that look like? Jesus came to restore the broken relationship with God. We are set free by his grace. The Holy Spirit lives through us. We can't keep the law of being good any more today than in the Old Testament times. It didn't work. When we focus on his love, the other stuff takes care of itself. You know, as, as, as people, we say stop sinning, but humanity hasn't been able to do it. Early on in the church life, they believed in a thing called post-millennialism. This is essentially what they believed. They believed that humanity was going to get progressively better until eventually Jesus just came and took over what humanity had already brought. Why did that go away? Because World War I and World War II happened. Kind of threw a monkey wrench in the situation. Maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. Maybe you've experienced your own personal World War I, World War II. I did. Thought I had it all together. Then I went to college. 
wonderful Emmanuel College. Great school. She can go to it, and they should take money off my tuition for me promoting them. Just saying. <laughs> Mark it down. Shameless plug. <laughs> we say, stop sinning. That's all you have to do. Be a Christian. Stop sinning. And yet the world looks at us and says, how? I tried. I don't even know if this is connecting with you. Maybe this isn't for you. Maybe this is for somebody else. But I'm telling you, this hit me so hard, I couldn't stop. I wanted to with everything in me. I tried everything I was told to do, but it didn't work. What do I do? And then I realized that it was about the love that God has for me and that when I focused on his love and realized that Jesus paid on the cross the penalty for me to be free from sin, that it was already done, the money was in the bank. I'm not sitting here trying to pay a bill that I don't have the money for, but it's already done, and all I have to do is trust in that. Then it became it became easier because all of a sudden it wasn't about me doing anything. It's about me being with God. That's why Paul had to correct this and say, look, does that mean you can just sin because of the grace? No. Why did Paul have to go to that extreme? Because people were understanding that it's the love of God that changes us. When we focus on the love of God and what, we, what he did, we can walk with him. Did Jesus come to save you from hell? Yes, he did. But I submit to you today that Jesus did not come to leave you in the water and just get you to the pier. That Jesus did not come to so that Westminster would just be Christians and make it to the end. That there would be churches in Wahala that would just make it to the end. That there would be churches in, where's the other place? Seneca, thank you, I'm sorry. That there would not be churches in Seneca. That's where I stayed last night. I should have known that one. Of all the places. It didn't come just so that churches could be great and make it to heaven. I submit to you that Jesus came to not only throw you a lifeline and to pull you into the boat and to save you from your situations and from your circumstances, to save you emotionally and physically and to save you socially and spiritually, but that God wants and desires to use you to reach to others. Uh, worship team, if y'all will, come on and, and play. I'm going to close out real quick. I just want to have a prayer with you. Um, open up an invitation. I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know you. Um, like I said, I'm honored and humbled that you would have me. Thank you so much for letting me be here this evening, this afternoon. Sorry. But what I do know is that I went to church my whole life, and I never really understood what God did for me. I was in Sunday school enough, I could tell you all the stories. I had all that. But I was still messed up. And I don't know if it's you. I don't know if it's somebody that you love or somebody that you know. But I just want to offer you this this opportunity. If you need prayer over anything, I want to pray with you. Turn the mic off. If you've been dealing with any of the stuff that I mentioned, if there's a physical need, if you have an emotional need, if you've been dealing with depression, suicide, whatever, I don't care what it is. If you need to know Jesus, I don't care what the need is. He came for that need. So we're going to enter in. When you guys start playing, I'm going to shut off, and we're going to, we'll pray. 
All right, but I'm going to say a prayer. If you will, close your eyes, bow your heads. Just enter into that state of worship even now. If you're not dealing with any of that, that's awesome. Praise God. Begin to worship and pray for those who are. If that's you, I invite you to come down. We'll pray for you. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. God, thank you that when I'm not good enough, when I'm not, you are. Thank you that you don't just want to save my soul, but that you want to save all of me. That you came to save me in my situations and in my struggles. That, God, you care about the little things, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, but, God, you're right there. That, Lord, when I cry alone in the night, when those times came, God, you were still there, you cared. Lord, I just ask right now that you would minister to the hearts, anyone who has a need. God, the, the shame of saying, yeah, that's me, the, the shame of saying, I got a problem, whatever it is, you're greater than that. And Father, I pray that you would work on the hearts of the people in Jesus' name as we enter into worship.